All right, how is it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders, where we talk to founders about their companies, their visions for the future, and how the two collide. Today, I'm very excited to be talking to Steve O'Dell, who is the co-founder and CEO of Tenzo T. Steve, welcome to the show. How's it going? It's going awesome. Thank you for having me. Really excited to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming on. I got 10 times more excited for you coming on when I saw the Tenzo tea pop up in my local coffee shop. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm yeah. really talking to this guy in a couple of weeks. So I'm, I'm super stoked to have you on and dive into to what you're working on. Awesome. Yeah, I can't wait to get into it. And hopefully that there's a lot of people listening that can see uh, some Tenzo signs in cafes around the country too. Yeah, definitely. And with that, you know, some people might be hearing us talk and they're like, what's, what is this? What's Tenzo? So let's just start there. What is your company? What's Tenzo Tea? Tenzo Tea is a, a matcha green tea brand. Uh, we're based in Los Angeles. And for those of you to go back one step further, that may not know what matcha is. It is a stone ground, like a powdered form of green tea. But instead of steeping that through a bag, you actually blend it or mix it directly with water or you can make it in smoothies. So you ingest the full leaf. So that's about 10 times the caffeine and the health benefits of normal green tea. And then, yeah, so Tenzo, we take that green tea. It's, it's actually the cleanest form of energy on the planet. Super healthy for you. We sell that on our website and to cafes and corporate offices all over the country. So this is... I definitely want to talk a good amount today about how you have distributed it and how have you've grown it because it's not just software, right? It's it's uh, like you're shipping products to people, and I'm just very intrigued to to dive deeper into that. But before we do, I want to get a little bit more of the backstory. Why? Uh, well, actually, before why? Like, how, how does it work? So, how does someone interface with your with your company? Do they order online? Is it only in stores? What are some ways yeah. that someone can get your tea? Great question. So. Right now, you can order on our website, www.tenzot.co. And on our website, we offer a monthly Tenzo subscription. Um, so it comes every month, delivered right to your door. You're drinking matcha for less than a dollar um, a day, basically. So it's a super great way to get clean energy without having five cups of coffee or like a bang energy, a monster, and a Red Bull. And then we also sell in a lot of cafes. So if you have a local cafe, like we love independent coffee shops and I'll go into that when we talk about how we grew the brand. But um, if you have a local cafe and they're serving matcha and you want to talk about getting Tenzo in there, maybe they're not serving matcha at all. We can talk about that. But we do not sell on shelves in any grocery stores yet. Um, we're, we're kind of waiting to do that. And um, but yeah, mainly online and in cafes right now. And what about green tea? do you love so much that you decided to start a whole company around it? Like what's a little bit of the, the backstory on why you decided to productize, you know, shipping every tea. Great question. So first of all, I'd say matcha is, although it's technically green tea, um, it's much different than the typical connotations and the way people know green tea right now. Um, so it's not like a, it doesn't need necessarily need to be like something you go and sip. Um, it can be like, I take it in freaking like shots like a pre-workout, you know? So I'll take five grams of Tenzo, whip it up, and then shoot it. Um, and you get a lot of clean energy for your workout. But you also don't get that, like, uh, feeling, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. That, it's, so, it's so interesting. I don't know if this was subconscious or not. But today, like, I'm definitely – so I will admit, I'm definitely a coffee drinker. I, like, I, I, enjoy, I enjoy coffee. 
But that usually I have a cup of coffee in the afternoon too. And like, I don't feel that good. It just like doesn't feel great. But right. today, I don't know if it was, I consciously did it or, or subconsciously. I decided to get tea. I, I don't know if it was, I don't think it was matcha, but it was, it was some sort of tea, maybe green tea um, instead of coffee. And let me tell you, like it, it works and it works really well. You get the energy and it doesn't go away. You don't get the jitters. Have you seen as you've been, you know, building this company um, kind of, the tea movement or the matcha movement kind of rise or what have you seen in the market since you started yeah. it? And also one more question. When did you start it just for a, uh, the, yeah, yeah, a historical yeah. base? Three years ago. Um, so we launched early 2017 and, um, yeah, I mean, holy crap. Like, let me give you a little more background on why matcha. And so Rob and I, we were athletes. Robbie Page is my co-founder. I've known him since I was really young. Um, we grew up in Rochester, New York, and now we live in Los Angeles, but, so we were both athletes and played volleyball at UCLA. And while we were at UCLA, we got into entrepreneurship. And so we learned a few things there. And, um, and then one day, I, I literally drank too much coffee one day and felt like crap. And I Googled, what is the healthiest form of energy? Um, and I discovered matcha. Rob and I ordered some, and it made a really meaningful impact on our lives. And so then, um, I mean, it, it, like, it wasn't this massive leap initially like all we did was we bought 50 units you know and then we bought 100 units and then we bought 200 units you know and it, it kind of it grew very incrementally and that's one of the challenges with a an inventory-based business too but yeah so that, that's that's kind of how we got started so okay i want to ask some probably basic questions to you but most of the people i have on this podcast it's almost all software so i actually like don't know um, but the reason I reached out to you is because like, this is a fascinating company that's growing. And I think it is a lot of different lessons that can be learned from, I know you're on some software, um, but you're also like shipping a product. So let's start in the beginning when you decided to start Tenzo. Um, do you, are you fine if I call it Tenzo or do you want me to say the full no, Tenzo, ten, Yeah, call it Tenzo. Definitely. All right. Ten, Tenzo. Tenzo and I are on, on good terms, casual yeah. terms. All right. So you said that you bought, excuse me for my naivete, but like you bought like 50 items or 50 like shipments. Can you kind of explain what that means? What'd you buy? Who'd you buy from? How'd you know who to buy from? Where'd you store it? Just kind of these basics on how you started there. Yeah. So we, um, we did what most savvy founders do. We went on Google and we typed where to buy matcha in bulk. And um, we emailed like 20 people. And um, initially we were buying from some guy that private labels, meaning so he buys a lot of matcha and then like white labels it to other people. So we bought 50 units from that guy and Robbie and I, mainly Rob designed like these labels and they were just super janky, you know, and we bought 50 units and we built a quick Shopify store. Um, it was like, we, we called it a weekend project at the time. And um, we built a Shopify store and then we got the 50 units sent from Arizona to our apartment in Long Beach and um, stored them there. Orders came in and shipped them and I would walk a few, like a few blocks to the post office and ship them out. And let's talk about those first 50 items. How did you, obviously you sold them because you're, you're, you're here now, you know, selling yeah. way more than 50. <laughs> um, how, how would you get those out? Uh, how'd you, how'd you market them? Was it friends? Was it strangers? Um, how'd you, uh, yeah, and it, and it, <laughs> you know, like we, uh, it was, it's a hard road, you know? So 
we had really no clue what we were doing. And um, initially we were just like talking to friends and neighbors and anyone that we could possibly meet. And ironically, we were working out of this cafe. We worked out of this cafe a lot and they didn't serve matcha. And um, one day we were just like, huh, like I wonder if we could sell matcha to this cafe. And so then it was like, wow. And then we did. And then we, from there, it was just like, we slowly got more and more e-commerce orders. And then we learned about like, paid acquisition on social and then how to build an e-commerce engine and how subscription businesses work. And at that same time we were going door to door trying to close these cafes and, and then what the cafes eventually become small chains. And so once you're in 50 cafes and you, you go to the next smallest chain, that's like a three to five location business. And you say, Hey, we're crushing it in all these small locations. Like we think we could handle you guys, yada, yada. And then you get 10, three to five chains and it just, spirals up and uh, i want to jump forward a little bit um to uh, we're gonna go back but but for now so sip so sip is my you know there's multiple sips in phoenix that's you know for people that don't know which is pretty much all of these sip is a coffee shop there's two locations and it's like just they're legendary in phoenix so for sip um this is probably well do you do you well two questions one do you know what sip is when i mention it and if not it's fine but like so how did you get sip was it like an automated did you walk into sip and sell how'd you get someone out of state yeah there you go so this is called this is the beauty of the internet so like search engine optimization and online funnels are like a really key thing and so we are we're pretty good for the wholesale and bulk, but we have very good SEO for our just our normal e-commerce site, and um, yeah, so a lot of it's just all it's automated. We're not going door to door anymore, and then we're also we've opened up quite a few pretty big distributors, and they're taking away a lot of the legwork for us there. And uh, I, I want to get deeper into distribution, but just on a higher level, you started this company three years ago, uh, approximately. And uh, it seems to be doing very well and getting, you know, from at least from my perspective, like decently big, how, like, are you, are you surprised potentially by, by the growth that you know, it was going to happen. You just have to execute. Like, how do you feel about your growth rate right now? Not the specific, specific rate, but like, are you surprised that this all has happened? <laughs> yeah. I mean, to be honest, dude, it's like, I, you know, like i everyone in their life, I feel like thinks like, Oh, I'm going to go and do these great things, you know? And so I was one of those people that wanted to try and do great things. And, uh, but like when you start, you don't really know. And, but I've really given it my all. Like, uh, I work very, very hard and I'm super focused and super disciplined. And I think if you combine those three things, uh, with a little bit of luck and good timing, then you can get a really, really long way. And, um, that's kind of what we did. And it's really been like a fairy tale journey. So we're, we're doing like 300 plus, we've done 300 plus revenue growth every year for three years, um, well over seven figures. And it's just, um, it, yeah, I mean, 2020, I think is also looking really, really good. So kind of with, with those type of numbers and that kind of growth, um, I'm very interested to see how you think about investors and VC. You could probably raise from anyone you wanted to right now uh, with, with, where you're at do you want to raise money or are you trying to bootstrap it the whole way how how do you think about that stuff no yeah i mean okay raising money is a crazy game um and so we've raised uh over seven figures as well and um but no institutional money um 
that's been like largely one we didn't have any connections when we first started so like you know like a kid from rock two guys from Rochester, new york we worked really hard to build up really robust um robust networks of financers and private equity um and angels and pr- just private investors too so we've built a lot of really good relationships and been able to done that to do that excuse me in a very strategic way um it was very non non like pressured either and um but then also like when you're running an inventory based business you can finance large POs or kind of do, you can do invoice factoring too so that can cover some of your cash needs if you are growing really really quickly um but yeah i mean we might raise money from VCs one day um but i don't know if that's the thing like there's some really established firms that do CPG and food and bev so we'll probably just utilize one of those and this is going to be another one of those potentially naive questions, but yeah. Would you consider Tenzo? Are you a D to C company? I've heard this D to C thing pop up. Is that you? And if not, how would you categorize yourself? um, If not D to C? Well, we are in some sense a D to C company, definitely because we sell direct to consumer online. Um, But I would consider us more of an omni-channel business at this point. Um, based on the, the way that we sell and the channels that we sell to. Um, we also we also supply other brands with matcha products and create them with them too. For example, Snow Monkey is an ice cream company. Uh, we make them a matcha ice cream that's one of their top selling SKUs that's sold in thousands and thousands of grocery stores all over the country. Okay, so now, okay, that, that makes sense. Um, not, I definitely want to take a, a fairly deep dive into... Yeah, ma- your distribution high level right now how i don't even know what to add like how many channels are you working is and how do you just tell me about your distribution and then we'll dive deeper after you go high level let me give you one bit of background information that might help you mean like how to think about tenzo as a business so matcha is a lot like coffee so people like coffee really for three reasons it tastes really good um like you know like everyone likes coffee any type of coffee things it tastes really good yeah 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 yeah. also it's a really good flavor so that's different than taste because flavor means you can mix it with a lot of things specifically rather than it's just good as one thing so you make cakes and ice creams and all sorts of treats and confectionaries and then it also gives you energy and caffeine people are addicted to caffeine biologically yada 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 matcha is very similar so Japan and in Japan, they have as many different treats and ice creams and all these candies that are matcha flavored. It also tastes great and you get caffeine, but the difference with matcha is that you also get a lot of health benefits. So with that base, if you look at how coffee is built in the, like, let's say the U S it's mainly sold in, in like shops. There's also, it's in grocery stores and K cups and ready to drink products. It's, there's also 10 $50 million coffee companies that sell D2C online. 10 $50 million coffee companies online. There is zero that's crazy. match companies online as of today. And so the thing is, like, we are trying to pick the best channels that are the most efficient for the business to operate, for us to grow on, that we can operate the most cash flow positive on, all these things that build the best brand, yada, 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 that have the highest leverage, that are best for the future. 
and we're picking the best one. So those three for us have been direct to consumer. That's the D to C e-commerce food service, which food service means they're actually making a matcha drink and then serving it to another customer. So we sell to this business owner who then makes the matcha and serves it. And the third channel is that bulk. So that's when we make in matcha ice cream or whatever. Got it. So you have a, you have a machine. You, you, you have a, you have a, exactly. a well-oiled machine. So when I, I, I guess when you think about just marketing in general, not necessarily distribution, like where, how you get uh, the, the tea literally out to actually, I want to, I, Sorry, I'm catching myself. I say distribution. And usually when, when I say distribution, because usually I say it to software, be like, oh, distribution, it's Facebook, it's this, it's LinkedIn, it's that. But you, because of the type of company you are, distribution is just how you get your product out physically. That's so interesting. Exactly. Okay, so then now I'm curious about, I guess, the growth channels that you use now to just spread your brand online. What, like, I know that you're, we'll, we'll go into LinkedIn in a second. I definitely follow you on LinkedIn and you, and you are incredible at LinkedIn. So we'll, we'll put that on the shelf for Thank a sec. You. What, what else, um, what other ways do you spread the word outside of word of mouth, which I'm sure you get a lot of, of anyways. Yeah, this is a, this is a good question. I mean, like we've done a lot, like we've tested a lot of ways, but, Right now, we are just really focused on building a good product that people want to talk about. And that is it. If you can make your, po- your viral coefficient positive and as far, as far positive as you can, um, you're in a really good spot. And if you just continually do that and redrive that audience, then like paid is just kind of like supplementary at this point. So we really focus on organic um, email and um, what is it? LinkedIn. Honestly, I get about 10 million impressions a week on LinkedIn. We get a lot of tens of subscribers from LinkedIn. It's totally free marketing, you know, and then that's enough in and of itself to carry the company at this point. Like it's been really just driving through personal brands and through a little bit through Instagram. And then we do spend on paid, but it's just like retargeting. It's not like we're creating these crazy viral video campaigns or we're running like super intense ad campaigns. Uh, you can look at our Facebook ads, you know, you can see them. We don't, we just don't do it uh, at this point. It's just really retargeting. And then everything else is organic and focusing on product. Yeah. I know you mentioned earlier that you, you might take VC, you might not, but I'm telling you, like, I, I feel like that's kind of like my, I'm not a VC, but I, I know a lot and that's kind of my world. And it, they would eat like the way that you're talking right now, they would just eat this, this business up in the best way. Like you're, you're doing everything. I feel like how you're supposed to do it. Like, and it's not, not that common. Uh, so just bravo on the business that you've built. Um, what's next, I guess, is it not necessarily 10 years from now, but just like the next month. Like, how do you think about where to spend your time and uh, where do you spend your time? Time management. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm a, I'm a hardcore systems and ops guy. Like I, the way that you described Tendo, you're like, you've got a machine in my, my head. I was like, Oh yeah, I love that. You know, because, um, that's exactly how I think about the business. And so I build out these like Excel models and, um, Adobe illustrator files actually that just map everything that's going on. And then I operate the company, um, basically assigning costs and times to all those variables. And then, 
chopping them down as fast as possible as like basically all out assault on improving the machine. So, I mean, that's how I spend most of my days. And that comes from basically picking the highest leverage um, kind of lever in the whole machine and then attacking it. And that's what I do every day. So you're, I mean, you're at a place where I feel like I, mean, I could be wrong, but I get the feeling that you're not necessarily like in the business or uh, you're, you're working on the business, higher level stuff. Um, how do you, and ultimately every second you invest into the business, you like, you know, is time lost, right? You want to make sure it's a good investment. Yep. Just like, how do you, how do you think about just your time? Not so much the fact that it's valuable because I know it's valuable, but does it, what, like, what are the, the key activities that, you, that you, you think you spend your time on now other than potentially just like managing finances? Like what else do you think about and, and allocate resources to? Yeah. Uh, I, um, I don't know, man. I like to go freaking huge, like big, like just take as big of swings as possible. Um, I, I'm like a, I'm a college dropout. Fortune favors the bold. And so I'm looking at the matcha market and trying to make decisions that are going to make the company do a thousand X's. So I want to go up to bat and when I bat, I want to hit a thousand home runs. So I want to partner with Jeff Bezos and LeBron James and the chain smokers and hire world-class employees, partner with Lululemon and all this, like the biggest things, you know, um, that are possible and partner with large CPG brands that to make matcha products with them get them to put Tenzo on the brand, that, that kind of thing, you know? So like, and then with that, um, we'll be launching a bunch of like new, new products soon. Um, not soon, but over the coming year or so. Where do you get your moonshot attitude from? Uh, do, do you, can you track that somewhere in your childhood or early adulthood? <laughs> um, where does it come from? Uh, I think I can, you know, like everyone's got these hypotheses about their lives, you know, and like hindsight's kind of, so it can clear things up, not always, but I am. Um, so I don't know if you know this, but I'm the youngest of five boys. Um, so I have this, and the closest brother is 10 years older. So I, I, I have a very unique childhood in the sense that I have older brothers that were teaching me things that were a lot further ahead of my biological age. Um, and so when I would go to school, I was like, just very smart and I was good at sports and that kind of thing. And so I was just like, I had, a, I built up a very like large sense of confidence in myself. But when I would go home, conversely, I was 10 years younger. So I was smart. I was dumber and slower than my older brothers. And so like, I, I didn't win at anything when I would go home. I literally, I remember when I was 11, I beat one of my, one of my older brothers at bowling. It was the first event in the, in the whole family history. My first 11 years of life, I had won at something. And, um, and yeah, so I had this very weird uh, psychological complex where I have a lot of confidence and that's a moonshot attitude. But I also had this like poor man's mentality where like, I am the youngest of five. I'm a fighter and someone's out to get me and I need to like make my mark on the world in a sense. Let's dive into that last point. I, I, I definitely align with that. Um, and there was a point maybe just three years ago where I had this attitude that almost negatively that people were out to get me like you, like I need to beat you cause like you're, you're trying to stifle my success. And that's, that, it just wasn't true in, you know, in these cases, yeah. how have you uh, thinking about how to phrase this question? 
like I guess the word is maturity in just business and in life. Have you were, were these skills or these attributes that you have were they were they used to be a little more raw and how did you polish them if so and and just kind of what do you think about that whole category of polishing your um, polishing your strengths? Oh yeah, I'm a, <laughs> I'm an obsessive freak about this man. Like I um now I do a lot of more advanced stuff, but when I first started, I just read. I read a lot. When I first dropped out of school, I like I was really hardcore about it. So I created this agenda, like the ultimate entrepreneur. Now I was like learning how to program and studying calculus and building websites, you know, and just doing the most as most advanced possible stuff as possible. And, like every day when I get up, I just want to be better, and I can. I'm just super disciplined. Like every night at 9 p.m., I have an automated Google form that goes to my email. That asked me like a series of questions about my health, about how I ate, about how much money I spent that day. Like literally every single thing. Did I work out? How is my meditation? You know, like, and I have to answer these questions. All this stuff spits out into a Google form. I have a separate form that comes weekly that tracks everything on a Likert scale and then spits out graphs over time. I also have a hundred year plan in a Google sheet of my life over a hundred years and all the things I want to do, the investments I want to make. Um, yeah. And then all of that is backtracked into this other Google sheet where I have all my values and beliefs listed out for the world and what I want to do and see all my goals and dreams and as big as possible. And then I have a very clear idea of what I want. And so I just say no to a lot of things that normal people might say yes to. Uh, and I'm just really independent and focused on going after them. That's right, kind of wanna, that was a lot, but it's a lot. Bomb. No, the, the the bombs are good. It's the value bombs. So let let's go out. Like I feel like you're a pretty futuristic. Like you're like you're you're obviously operating in the present, but you have big plans for your life. Uh, right. So let's let's talk about it. Um, uh, let's say ten years from now, and and everything happens with Tenzo that you expect to happen like the, the growth happens and everything in your head it happens what do you see your life looking like then not so much with intenso but are there other things that you have aspirations to do that you just can't do yet because like you're working on intenso like what are you going to be doing in a decade if it all works out when it does totally i mean a million things i want to go and work for the un i want to go to other planets you know write books um, I operate a holdings company in Rochester, New York with my cousins that I'm really passionate about. And so helping build the environment that raised me is really important to me. And then trying to maximize impact on the earth. And so my life, if you could boil it down to a simple equation, is a function of maximizing impact, minimizing regret. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things I want to do, a ton. I'll, I'm going to start a lot of companies. I'm going to invest in a lot of companies. And it's going to be like a wild ride, honestly. A, a wild, wild ride. And how do you... Um, so, yeah, it'll definitely be a wild ride because you're already on your way. You're like, you're well on your way with, with Tenzo. Do you think about how to make sure that you stay on that path? What I mean by that uh, is... I think a lot of people, you know, their things are going well, and then all of a sudden um, they maybe get ahead of themselves or whatever. And then there's like the young people, like us, think like, "Oh gosh, like that won't happen." Like, like I want, I want these are all my plans for myself. But like, how how do you think about like making sure that it all happens 
um, according to plan. Like, does that, does that make sense? I don't know if yeah, that question makes sense. It, it does. I mean, that's why I brought up the point about independent mindedness, like greatness in, is built in solitude. It's not, it's not this thing where you let the crowd or the masses or you get sucked to the whim of an idea or a trend. It's like, you need to be really disciplined and you need to really think ruthlessly for yourself. Um, that's something that I try to embody and like I do that and I, I, I don't deviate. I don't do like a, I don't fall into the fads, you know? And um, I think that that's really important. And I also think it's about setting extremely specific goals and milestones. You want to be, you want to make a billion dollars? Well, you can do it. You know, there's a path towards that. You can start with $10,000 and compound that at 10% over 70 years, you know, or something like that. You get a billion. But if you want to do that in 20 years and you have to make a different plan, if you want to have a million followers on social media that are engaged, how long does that timeline take? So what I did was like, I looked at all these timelines and then I put them all on this really, really large with, well, it has a lot of columns, um, this Excel sheet. And I mapped everything out over a hundred years with Tenzo and other businesses and real estate and stock portfolios. What I think the world's going to be doing during this decade, you know, things like that. There's this quote, I think from Steve Jobs that says you shouldn't hire people. Uh, you hire people, sorry, you don't hire people to tell them what to do. You hire people so they can tell you what to do, which ultimately means like hire smarter people than you. But you are extremely intelligent from this conversation. And I feel like you, you know that, although you're humble as well. How do you think about hiring people that can do, that can do actually, yeah, just hiring. How have you hired for, for Tenzone? How do you look at people who can do the best possible job for the company? Yeah, I mean, I would always recommend hiring the best possible person that you can afford by it, like without a doubt. Um, I know that is challenging when you're bootstrapping and you haven't raised a lot of money yet and all those things. So that at that point in time, the lever is really more about you. But yeah, like you can't build a great company without having great people all the way around. I think that that's something I also learned from athletics a little bit too, is like even to people that don't necessarily get a lot of playing time, those are the guys that you're training with every single day in practice. And so their habits and their, like their abilities rub off on everybody else. Um, so we've just consistently tried to hire great people. And what's a great person. If you, if you got 10 people that you're interviewing, what's going to be the qualities or the things that you look for in the one that you end up hiring at the end of the day? The highest growth rate human being. That's what I want. I want the person that's going to learn the fastest and um, grow the fastest. Because over time, that person is literally going to crush anyone that's ahead of them. Um, yes, yeah, so I want to invest in people that have really high growth rates. They're not necessarily the most, maybe not the most innately talented or their current level isn't the best. But if you can grow really fast and learn really quickly, then you can outpace everyone else, especially if you have a lot of hard work and you're really disciplined. And if you're open to sharing, like, how do you quantify that aptitude? How do you know uh, when, you, when you talk to these 10 people and one person's like, this person has the highest growth rate, like, how do you know? Oh, yeah, this is a really good question. So this is a, there's a really good book on this. I mean, I think it's called the sales acceleration formula by Mark Roberge. You know this? Yeah. Oh, I know it. I, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm very familiar. 
Well, you, you, if the way you ask that question, you got to refresh yourself. So coachability. So if you're looking at coachability, yes. remember this? it's based yeah. on the, the questions that they ask you. And so you can tell, I can tell like almost immediately or within five minutes, uh, not five, but five to 10, like how, um, usually I can get a, a sense of how smart someone is by the type of words they use and that kind of thing. But, um, yeah, no type of questions and then their ability to act quickly on those questions in real life. So I look a lot and even over time, if you look at certain people around you who is suffering from regression, meaning like they're going forward and they come back a little bit and then they go and then they come back maybe 10 steps. And then, you know, it's that you really want people that are like this, just like, and sometimes like I try to imagine myself as like Iron Man, just like shooting past the problems of the world. And like, you cannot phase my personal happiness, my mindset, nothing, nothing can come in here. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. It, it's funny. So the reason I had that reaction to the, the sales acceleration formula is actually the, the, the first person that uh, Mark Roberge uh, hired is this guy named Dan Tyre. And Dan Tyre and I are like good friends. He lives in Phoenix. So Dan, uh, like when we first met, he's like, you got to read this book, Matt, check it out. And like, granted, it was like three years ago. Um, uh, so yeah, I am rusty. But like, I want to I wanna st- stay around the idea of... You know, it's a chance that, that I met, you know, Dan, who is the sixth employee at HubSpot. And there's all, a lot of other people that it was lucky that I met them that have helped me in my career. How, how do you think about positioning yourself in a way that gets you lucky? How do you, here's my question. How do you fabricate your own luck? Um, yeah. Because it isn't totally random. Environment, 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 environment. So there's a great story about uh, Leonardo da Vinci. And um, he was like, he's obviously extremely famous. Everyone knows him. And it wasn't until he moved to Florence that Da Vinci became very well known because then he was around other artists and they could compare his work and he, they could have, their ideas could blend. And um, Paul Graham actually, this is, I learned this from Paul Graham's website. I'm a big fan of Paul Graham. Shout out PG. And um, Paul Graham says that if Da Vinci couldn't escape his environment, what makes you think that you're going to escape yours? And, um, so I've taken those words as like a, a law, like do not put yourself in a weak environment. I want to be around the highest performers, the capital, yada, 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 the culture. So I think that's really important. And then I think, um, yeah, you got to be bold. You have to be bold and you also have to be disciplined and know how to treat relationships over time. So I cold emailed Michael Moritz. The found one of the managing partners, Sequoia Capital, 5.30 a.m. three years ago. We still email to this day. I was talking to him two days ago. And um, that's just from me sending like Happy New Year's and these random things. And then we, he likes tea and that's, that's it. He's worth almost $4 billion, you know, and that, that scenario has happened again and again and again. And although I have like a, a big LinkedIn, like I, I have, spreadsheets and spreadsheets recorded of all my interactions with everyone that is important over time. And I track them all and I know how to manage relationships at scale. And that's a, that's also been really beneficial. That's so funny, man, that you, that you mentioned that about Michael Moritz. Um, Cause it's, it's so, it's so true. Like an email can change. Like if you just email 10 people that you, that you admire, that you wish you could have a conversation with and one's going to respond if not more. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's actually so my, oh yeah, go for it. I had a list of all those people and uh, on New Year's it Day. It was on it. It was on it. A lot of people. <laughs> Some big names. Michael Moritz is, is probably one of the biggest. Uh, Jeff Bezos is well known that's on the list, but I, um, yeah, so I emailed like two people on New Year's and like I didn't go out. I was like up at 7 a.m. I do the same thing every single day. And um, then I emailed like two people and they both responded like almost immediately. And then I was like, I should email 20 more people. And then I just got my whole list and emailed like 100 plus people. And it worked out super, super well. And I didn't ask for anything, you know, just like a, hey, I'm thinking of you. And I cited like one specific memory I had with the person and it was that, that was it. Yeah, that's uh, very relatable. I one one email that I sent to Jason Calacanis in 2017 that led to him eventually investing in 2019. So it's like, it's just fun how uh, it's just fun how relationships work. And you seem to have a have a handle on it. And I actually want to like state it here for a second. Everyone in the tech world is trying to find the next best personal CRM. It sounds like you just made it for yourself. Can you oh, just like? Table. Yeah, Air, dude, you're an Airtable fan. Hell yes, I love Airtable. <laughs> do Do you mind going into your setup? Um, yeah, it, I, it sounds in depth, but I, I want to hear because I love Airtable. Let me pull it up. Yeah, I, I got it literally right next to me. It's called Master Contact Space. Yeah, so I have this Master Contact Space. There is a few views on it. One's a form, and then one is I have just like the master view, and then different sorting options there. But yeah, so every person gets different personal tags based on industries and job titles. And then I have another tag that is a closeness ranking. So I rank how close I am with the person. And the goal is to push people through stages, kind of like a lead funnel or a customer journey, you know? Yeah, so I track all of this. And then I also have an interactions log. So depending on the interaction, uh, there's like one, another table in this book workbook that... I log interaction, so it's like the type of interaction, notes, the person, date, and then that spits back into, it's a linked record into the contact base. And then, then I have one view on that main base that sorts all contacts based on our last interaction. If someone's over a certain amount of time, then I know to follow up. Okay. I'm just gonna ask it. How much of your, of your day or life do you spend doing versus how much of your day or life you spend planning sorry that's not the right way to ask the question what i'm what i'm trying to get at is you, you've obviously found some massive success but you're also very meticulous with your systems and processes and it probably takes time when you when you have a conversation to go into Airtable, switch it up and you probably have a lot of conversations so i guess like how much preparation do you do for the work that you do does that, does that question make sense i don't know you know like I don't do other things. I don't binge watch Netflix. I don't have like 45 hobbies. I don't have three kids, you know. I am just reading uh, and building and networking like nonstop. Um, but yeah, I mean, I do, I do a lot of planning. Like I meditate every day. I walk for about five to six miles a day. That's just like me walking and thinking and... I'm a big believer in just like in, in that notion of solitude and work. And, um, a lot of ideas come from that. Like who is it? Do you know Naval Ravikant? I love Naval and it's how to get rich or how to, how to be wealthy. Incredible tweet storm. Yeah. He's a, he's a G. Yeah. He was saying something, uh, some tweet a few weeks back that was like, 
every time you listen to someone else, you diminish a little bit of you. And that I'm not saying don't take in anyone else's opinion or information by, by no means am I saying that, but saying like you, you need to weigh opinions and facts and think clearly and for yourself. So that's what I try to do. And like I do a lot of walking and, um, and meditating and then every other second is building. But I also like this, I have this rule, like this Abraham Lincoln rule that I never go on my computer if my ax isn't sharp. What about what I mean by that is I don't spend thinking time on the computer. The computer is for execution. It's not for clicking through Twitter. I don't, I don't go on Twitter and read tweets. I don't interact on, you know, I'll go on, I'll check a few people, usually like Nabal, Elon Musk and Nassim Taleb. And then I log out and I don't, I don't do anything else, you know, maybe Shane Parrish as well, but that's it. Can you give me an idea of what your, uh, I kind of already asked this in, in a way, but, but just kind of your average day, like you, you're seeing you you walk six miles, you meditate, you, you, you don't screw around on the computer. Um, do you have just like a, a set schedule that you do every day that you can walk through or is it kind of different per day? Yeah, no, I do have something for the most part. It's pretty, it's pretty regimented. I actually call this the virtuous Ubermensch uh, regimen. <laughs> it's based on Aristotelian ethics and, uh, Nietzsche and um, yeah I mean the goal is to just like basically put myself under uh, controlled stress controlled non-terminal stress and make sure I get good recovery and then my whole day backs into like four key cornerstone habits um, which are getting good sleep meditating um, eating healthy and uh, exercising and so I don't consider exercising like going to the gym and trying to get super jacked I don't that's not my life. I'm not going to be the super jack guy ever. I'm fine with that. Um, but I like to walk and run. Um, so yeah, I do those four key habits every day. I have, um, an inconsistent sleep schedule because I don't want to have a perfect night. Cause I think that if you sleep, I slept from midnight to 7 uh, AM like for like two months in a row. And then one night I had to do something crazy and I was shot for like three days. So I like to have a few nights where I scatter that. So I'm always like a little bit alert. And then I work out at also alternating intervals and meditate at alternating intervals at different lengths of time. Um, and then I also read a lot as well. And then all of your favorite books. Um, or just top of top of books mine now. I know it's a, it's a hard question for favorite books, but like, what are you thinking about now? Yeah. So let me say some of my favorite books. That, so a great book is like well-timed. I think it's the most critical thing about a good book. Well-timed, good information, you know, and lately that's been Atlas Shrugged. Um, that's probably my favorite book ever at this point, actually. Uh, I actually haven't heard of it. What, what is Atlas Shrugged? Well, 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 Matt, we got to go. We need in. another hour. <laughs> we need another hour. Jeez. Yeah. Time's flying right now. Um, it's a super good book. I, I, I don't really want to ruin it, but it talks about business and capitalism and politics and love. And um, it has the best characters of almost anything I've ever read. Arguable. It's up there with Ender's Game and The Count of Monte Cristo, you know, and I read Ender's Game when I was a boy and Count of Monte Cristo when I was a teen and Alice Shrugged as an adult. And I love them. I love them all equally at that, at that time in my life. And are you a physical book, uh, a physical book guy, or an ebook, uh, Kindle type guy? 
No, yeah, I'm I'm an only physical book guy. I yeah, that's that's my jam. All right, so I'm with you on that. And if you can see behind me, I got like a horrible looking bookshelf that like isn't yeah. super put together. I'm curious, <laughs> how do you? Uh, is this? It's actually like a. I think a real question that is people are starting to, to deal with the problem. Like, how do you store all your books? Do you have a bookshelf? Are they in? You know, do that do not keep that many on you? No, how do you think about all over, all over. I got just stacks all over my bedroom. Yeah, everywhere. They're all over my house. I have boxes all over my living room with books. And that's that's pretty much the only thing I own, actually. Books in the bed and a computer. I feel like yeah. that's what you need for, for success right there. Books, bed, exactly. computer. Minimal other things. You know, no distractions. No any toys. I don't have a car. Okay. So you mentioned a Naval, I believe. Yeah, we are flying. I think it was you said Naval said. Oh, no, it's not. Some one reference that you made was about going to an environment, like being in the right environment. Yeah, Paul Graham. Paul Graham. PG. Oh, I actually have a few questions about that too. Um, but I'll, I'll table those for a second. Uh, we only have about like ten more minutes here. But um, how you moved to LA? That's an yeah. environment. Why'd you pick LA, and how do you like it? I love it. It's uh, it's great. It's um. I mean, I really liked it because I went to UCLA. And so when I was at UCLA, I met a lot of other kids that were like smart and ambitious and they wanted to make an impact on the world. And there's a lot of people doing really impactful stuff. And um, I wanted to be a part of that. And then I knew like LA is the cultural epicenter, arguably of the US, maybe the whole world, you know, with Hollywood and movies and you can't really beat it in music. So there's that and there's a lot of good business as well. It's definitely not the tech scene like Silicon Valley and that's totally fine, understandable. That's not my jam. I'm not an engineer, but um, yeah, so it's a really good place to be. I think honestly, it could not be better. I'm super, super grateful for the friends. We have this like little crew called the West Side Mafia that we are like just a bunch of guys and gals that are building cool companies and doing things. And I have a lot of really good friends that I'm super grateful for. I learn a lot and they push us, push me really hard. So it's good. Do you by chance know a, a super talented founder named uh, Stacy Ferreira? Stacy, she sounds very familiar. She was the first guest I ever had on, and she is brilliant. Uh, she, yeah, she's. I'm pretty sure she's based in LA. You should. Uh, I can introduce you if you want, but um, if, she, if she's down, but she's like brilliant founder in, uh, yeah. in LA. Forge, right? Yeah, and that's her second company. She's like a Teal Fellow. Um, really impressive person. Yeah. Love that. Yeah, I would love to connect if she's open to it. Stacy, if you hear this. <laughs> yeah. Who knows if she listens. <laughs> yeah. Cool. All right. Well, I a couple more questions for you. We uh so PG, Paul Graham. So this is the man and why Combinator is the reason, the sole reason I'm into startups. And I think the reason I'm like better than average at them. I'm not great, so I'm not like a successful startup founder yet, but like I'm doing okay, you know, so far. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite essay or or favorite top favorite essays by Paul Graham. Uh, if you, if you, or, and if you don't, if you aren't a consumer of his essays, what kind of, what do you like about Paul Graham? I've read every single Paul Graham essay. They're so good, man. Oh my gosh. I'm probably like on almost 10 times. Yep. Some of Paul Graham's essays. So now you're pulling it up and looking at like the hundreds, they're probably yeah, like a hundred. I, I got the, yep. the HTML completely unstyled. Oh, it's amazing. The basic UL. Um, let me see. I think it's this one. Yeah. 
FR. So it's how to raise money. Yeah, that's yep. That's uh, it's it's the most. When did he write that one? Do you see a date? Yeah, September twenty thirteen. Yeah, such an insanely valuable post. <laughs> I know he's got a lot of really good ones though. There's Have you ever some... read the? Oh yeah, go for it. Sorry. No, no, go ahead. Let me let me find this one. Did you read the one, I believe it was called something like how to buy a Silicon Valley, like how if you pull enough money in a certain geography, you can potentially purchase not Silicon Valley, but like buy your own Silicon Valley, buy your own density. That was a super fascinating one. Yeah, that, that there, yeah, I know some of the thought experiments he goes into are amazing. I want to find, yeah, I like the age of the essay a lot. I think that's actually very true based on what's going on. Relentlessly resourceful is another really good one. Yep. Oh, cities and ambition. That's the one I referenced earlier. I'm going to try to find the one that I, um, that actually the cities and ambition could potentially be the one I'm talking about. Um, I don't know. I'm going to pull it up. Dude, I, I feel like I've never jammed about Paul Graham on the podcast before, but he's literally like, he's literally the man. Um, the guy actually that I, well, not a guy, like the awesome founder that I'm working for right now. So they're like Prenda, my, the company is a Y Combinator company. And, uh, he, and my, my boss or my boss's boss got the opportunity to meet him. And I just got, I, I was so I'm not, the word isn't jealous, but I'm like, Oh my gosh, you met the man. <laughs> Paul Graham. I know he's so awesome. Yeah. My, one of my favorite Paul Graham points though, the, the fundraising one is that young founders and I actually didn't make this mistake thanks to Paul Graham, but one plus one equals two, you know, like don't try to sell, raise like a, you know, like a in, or don't try to fabricate this story, you know, like you can raise money just saying, here's my company. I have a lot of users. They come back often. They're willing to pay this price. We're going to keep acquiring more of them this way. The company is going to be worth this much. You might lose all your money. I don't know. You know, <laughs> yeah. that's it. You know, yep. it's super basic. One, one plus one equals two. Mm -hmm. and then the other thing I like from the essay post is surprising. Great essays, surprise. Great, all great pieces of content, surprise, actually. So I like that one. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I feel like I'm going to have to go back and, and uh, read some new ones. I definitely haven't read all of them. Not even, I probably read a fourth, potentially. There's so many more. Um, but we're pretty much out of time, which is unfortunate. We'll have to do a round two, you know, in a couple of months or years or whenever. But um, my last question for you is, although it does seem like you're you're cruising and you're doing really well, you can always use help when, uh, you know, when, when you can get it. And you got all these people listening who uh, know this question is coming. And the question is, how can the Forward Thinking Founders community help you? What is an ask you have for people listening that they can do to help move your business forward? Um... Tell me how we can be better. You know, like I, I, I love feedback and I want to make something and build products and companies that people love and that they interact with on a day to day basis and they feel joyful and happy and know that they're doing right by themselves and their bodies. And if anyone out there has ideas of how we can do that better, I'm very open minded and um, just thank you everyone for all the support. 
All right, that is a wrap. This was a, we went everywhere this podcast and the hour flew by, but uh, this is de- definitely one of the better ones. So appreciate you coming on. Thanks for building a, a, an awesome company that we can talk about and just keep it up. You're doing great stuff in the world. Thanks, Matt. It's a pleasure being connected. Thanks for having me.